Section 32 of A Romance of Two Worlds by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17, Part 1, Conclusion. It was a very simple and quiet procession that moved next day from the Hotel Mars to Père Lachaise. Zara's coffin was carried in an open hearse and was covered with a pall of rich white velvet, on which lay a royal profusion of flowers, Ivan's wreath, and a magnificent cross of lilies sent by tender-hearted Mrs. Challoner, being most conspicuous among them. The only thing a little unusual about it was that the funeral car was drawn by two stately white horses, and Heliobas told me this had been ordered at Zara's special request, as she thought the solemn pacing through the streets of dismal black steeds had a depressing effect on the passers-by. "'And why?' she had said. "'Should anybody be sad, when I, in reality, am so thoroughly happy?' Prince Ivan Petrovsky had left Paris, but his carriage, drawn by two prancing Russian steeds, followed the hearse at a respectful distance, as also the carriage of Dr. Marini and some other private persons known to Heliobus. A few people attended it on foot, and these were chiefly from among the very poor, some of whom had benefited by Zara's charity or her brother's medical skill, and had heard of the calamity through rumour or through the columns of the Figaro, where it was reported with graphic brevity. The weather was still misty, and the fiery sun seemed to shine through tears as Father Paul, with his assistants, read in solemn yet cheerful tones the service for the dead according to Catholic ritual. One of the chief mourners at the grave was the faithful Leo, who, without obtruding himself in any one's way, sat a little distance, and seemed by the confiding look with which he turned his eyes upon his master, to thoroughly understand that he must henceforth devote his life entirely to him alone. The coffin was lowered, the requiem aeternum spoken, all was over. Those assembled shook hands quietly with Heliobus, saluted each other, and gradually dispersed. I entered a carriage and drove back to the Hotel Mars, leaving Heliobus in the cemetery, to give his final instructions for the ornamentation and decoration of his sister's grave. The little page served me with some luncheon in my own apartment, and by the time all was ready for my departure, Heliobus returned. I went down to him in his study, and found him sitting pensively in his armchair, absorbed in thought. He looked sad and solitary, and my whole heart went out to him in gratitude and sympathy. I knelt beside him as a daughter might have done, and softly kissed his hand. He started as though awakened suddenly from sleep, and seeing me his eyes softened, and he smiled gravely. "'Are you come to say good-bye, my child?' he asked in a kind tone. "'Well, your mission here is ended.' "'Had I a mission at all?' I replied with a grateful look, "'save the very selfish one which was compromised in the natural desire to be restored to health?' Heliobus surveyed me for a few minutes in silence. "'Were I to tell you,' he said at last, "'by what mystical authority and influence you were compelled to come here, "'by what a marvellously linked chain of circumstances you became known to me long before I saw you?' how I was made aware that you were the only woman living to whose companionship I could trust my sister, at a time when the society of one of her own sex became absolutely necessary to her, how you were marked out to me as a small point of light by which possibly I might steer, my course clear of the darkness which threatened me. 
I say, were I to tell you all this, you would no longer doubt the urgent need of your presence here. It is, however, enough to tell you that you have fulfilled all that was expected of you, even beyond my best hopes, and in return for your services, the worth of which you cannot realize, whatever guidance I can give you in the future for your physical and spiritual life is yours. I have done something for you, but not much. I will do more. Only, in communicating with me, I ask you to honor me with your full confidence in all matters pertaining to yourself and your surroundings. Then I shall not be liable to errors of judgment in the opinions I form or the advice I give. I promise most readily, I replied gladly, for it seemed to me that I was rich in possessing, as a friend and a counsellor, such a man as this student of the loftiest sciences. And now one more thing he resumed, opening a drawer in the table near which I sat. Here is a pencil for you to write your letters to me with. It will last about ten years, and at the expiration of that time you can have another. Write with it on any paper, and the marks will be like those of an ordinary drawing pencil. But as fast as they are written they disappear. Trouble not about this circumstance. Write all you have to say, and when you have finished your letter your closely covered pages shall seem blank." therefore were the eye of a stranger to look at them nothing could be learned therefrom but when they reach me i can make the writing appear and stand out on these apparently unsullied pages as distinctly as though your words had been printed my letters to you will also when you receive them appear blank but you will only have to press them for about ten minutes in this and he handed me what looked like an ordinary blotting book and they will be perfectly legible Cellini has these little writing implements. He uses them whenever the distances are too great for us to amuse ourselves with the sagacity of Leo. In fact, the journeys of that faithful animal have principally been to keep him in training. But, I said as I took the pencil and book from his hand, why do you not make these convenient writing materials public property? They would be so useful. Why should I build up a fortune for some needy stationer? He asked with a half-smile. Besides, they are not new things. They were known to the ancients, and many secret letters, laws, histories, and poems were written with instruments such as these. In an old library destroyed more than two centuries ago, there was a goodly pile of apparently blank parchment. Had I lived then and known what I know now, I could have made the white pages declare their mystery. Has this also to do with electricity? I asked. Certainly, with what is called vegetable electricity. There is not a plant or herb in existence, but has almost a miracle hidden away in its tiny cup or spreading leaves. Do you doubt it? Not I, I answered quickly. I doubt nothing. Heliobas smiled gravely. You are right, he said. Doubt is the destroyer of beauty, the poison in the sweet cup of existence, the curse which mankind have brought on themselves. Avoid it as you would the plague. Believe in anything or everything, miraculous and glorious. The utmost reach of your faith can with difficulty grasp the majestic reality and perfection of everything you can see, desire, or imagine. Mistrust that volatile thing called human reason, which is merely a name for whatever opinion we happen to adopt for time. It is a thing which totters on its throne in a fit of rage or despair. There is nothing infinite about it. Guide yourself by the delicate spiritual instinct within you, which tells you that with God all things are possible, save that he cannot destroy himself 
or lessen by one spark the fiery brilliance of his ever-widening circle of productive intelligence but make no attempt to convert the world to your way of thinking it would be mere waste of time may i never trust to instruct anyone in these things i asked you can try if you choose but you will find most human beings like the herd of swine in the gospel possessed by devils that drive them headlong into the sea you know for instance that angels and aerial spirits actually exist but were you to assert your belief in them philosophers so called would scout your theories as absurd though their ideas of a lonely god who yet is love is the very acme of absurdity for love must have somewhat to love and must create the beauty and happiness round itself and the things beloved but why point out these simple things to those who have no desire to see be content child that you have been deemed worthy of instruction it is a higher fate for you than if you had been made a queen the little page now entered and told me that the carriage was at the door in waiting as he disappeared again after delivering this message heliobas rose from his chair and taking my two hands in his pressed them kindly one more word little friend on the subject of your career i think the time will come when you will feel that music is almost too sacred a thing to be given away for money to a careless and promiscuous public however this may be remember that scarce one of the self-styled artists who cater for the crowd deserves to be called musician in the highest sense of the word most of them seek not music but money and applause and therefore the art they profess is degraded by them into a mere trade but you when you play in public must forget that persons with little vanities and lesser opinions exist think of what you saw in your journey with azel and by a strong effort of your will you can if you choose compel certain harmonies to sound in your ears fragments of what is common breathing air to the children of the ring some of whom you saw and will be able to reproduce them in part if not in entirety but if you once admit a thought of self to enter your brain those aerial sounds will be silenced instantly by this means too you can judge who are the true disciples of music in this world those who like schubert and chopin suffer the heavy worn melodies to descend through them as though they were mere conductors of sound or those who feebly imitating other composers measured out crotchets and quavers by rule and line and flood the world with inane and perishable and therefore useless productions and now farewell do you remain in paris i asked for a few days only i shall go to egypt and in travelling accustom myself to the solitude in which i must dwell now zara has left me you have azel I ventured to remark ah but how often do i see her only when my soul for an instant is clear from all earthly and gross obstruction and how seldom i can attain to this result while weighted with my body but she is near me that i know faithful as the star to the mariner's compass he raised his head as he spoke and his eyes flashed never had i seen him look more noble or kingly the inspired radiance of his face softened down into his usual expression of gentleness and courtesy and he said offering me his arm let me see you to the carriage 
You know it is not an actual parting with us. I intend that we shall meet frequently. For instance, the next time we exchange pleasant greetings will be in Italy. I suppose I looked surprised. I certainly felt so, for nothing was further from my thoughts than a visit to Italy. Heliobas smiled and said in a tone that was almost gay, "'Shall I draw the picture for you? I see a fair city, deep, embowered in hills and sheltered by olive groves. Over it beams a broad sky, deeply blue. Many soft bells caress the summer air. Away in the Cassine woods, a gay party of people are seated on the velvety moss.' They have mandolins, and they sing for pure gaiety of heart. One of them, a woman with fair hair, arrayed in white, with a red rose at her bosom, is gathering the wild flowers that bloom around her, and weaving them into posies for her companions. A stranger, pacing slowly, book in hand, through the shady avenue, sees her. Her eyes meet his. She springs up to greet him. He takes her hand. The woman is yourself. The stranger, no other than your poor friend, who now, for a brief space, takes leave of you. So rapidly had he drawn up this picture, that the impression made on me was as though a sudden vision had been shown to me in a magic glass. I looked at him earnestly. "'Then our next meeting will be happy,' I said inquiringly. "'Of course, why not? And the next, and the next after that also,' he answered." At this reply, so frankly given, I was relieved, and accompanied him readily through the hall towards the street door. Leo met us here, and intimated, as plainly as a human being could have done, his wish to bid me good-bye. I stooped and kissed his broad head and patted him affectionately, and was rewarded for these attentions by seeing his plume-like tail wave slowly to and fro, a sign of pleasure the poor animal had not betrayed since Zara's departure from the scene of her earthly imprisonment. At the door the pretty Greek boy handed me a huge basket of the loveliest flowers. "'The last from the conservatory,' said Heliobas. "'I shall need no more of these luxuries.' As I entered the carriage he placed the flowers beside me, and again took my hand. "'Good-bye, my child,' he said in earnest and kindly tones. "'I have your address and will write you all my movements.' In any trouble, small or great, of your own, send to me for advice without hesitation. I can tell you already that I foresee the time when you will resign altogether the precarious and unsatisfactory life of a mere professional musician. You think no other career would be possible to you? Well, you will see. A few months will decide all. Good-bye again. God bless you. End of section 32 Read by Amy Graymore of Holton, Maine, 2012. Amy's Mind to Your Mind dot com.